Hi everyone, Siobhan Chapman here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation, where my guests will recap how markets have performed over the past few sessions and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Today's conversation will primarily focus on quarter one corporate earnings. Joining us for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back Matthew Tormey, Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Matt, welcome. We're happy to have you. Hey, good morning, Siobhan, and good morning, UBS. Perfect, Matt. So let's get started. Investors received a flood of earnings this week to kick off the quarter one corporate earnings season. What are some takeaways and how have results been coming in relative to expectations? Thanks, Siobhan. So, yeah, let me actually just start with the second part of your question first before tackling the key takeaways over the past week. So, so far, we've heard from nearly 90 companies representing about 20% of the S&P 500 market cap, and 58% of companies are beating sales estimates, while 69% are beating earnings estimates, which are both a little bit below longer-term averages. In aggregate, earnings are beating by 4.5%, which is in line with our view for an earnings beat of 3 to 5% this quarter. Corporate profits are on track to decline by 6%, which is an improvement from about a 7% decline when the quarter ended. But when the earnings season is over, we do expect earnings to end up falling by about 1% to 3%. And finally, if we look at guidance for the second quarter from those companies that have already reported, the median company's QQ estimate is essentially flat relative to the day before they reported, which is better than what we've been seeing in recent quarters. Now, focusing on the first part of your question, Siobhan, the past week was really dominated by companies in the U.S. financial sector, especially of interest after the banking turmoil that we did experience in the month prior. And at a high level, Results for the banks have been mixed so far, with half beating on EPS, but this is relative to recently lowered expectations. Now, for the banks, we've been focused on three key areas, interest rate risk, credit risk, and capital risk. So first, starting with interest rate risk, we are seeing mostly negative deposit flows from the end of the fourth quarter last year through the end of the first quarter this year, and deposit mix is shifting out of non-interest-bearing accounts to interest-bearing accounts, which has dampened net interest margins, especially for the regional banks. Looking at the large-cap banks, they did experience deposit inflows, likely driven by a flight to safety following the failure of a few regional banks back in March. But Overall, net interest margins are likely to come under more pressure from rising funding costs, and guidance for the second quarter or full year was either unchanged or lowered due to lower than previously expected net interest income. Second, on credit risk, credit quality has remained good, and we only saw a modest deterioration in delinquencies and net charge-offs during the quarter, while credit normalization trends continue to be in line with expectations. However, we did see several banks increase their loan loss provision expense, driven by increased recession odds and recent loan growth. And third, on capital risk, we've seen every bank so far report their CET1 capital ratios above their respective regulatory minimums. And while some banks continue to repurchase shares, we did see several suspend buybacks given the more cautious outlook going forward. Thank you so much for that update, Matt, and that review of the busy week that we experienced. But I kind of want to dig deeper into the takeaways and expectations that you spoke about. Can you remind us of CIO's expectations for earning growth through year end? 
Of course. So for this year, we are expecting S&P 500 earnings to decline by roughly 4.5% to $210 per share before rebounding in 2024 by 9.5% to $230 per share. And just to note, both of our 2023 and 2024 estimates here in CIO are about 5% below consensus. So now the natural question to ask is, why are we below consensus with our estimates? And I think it's helpful to start by breaking down the full year 2023 estimate by quarter. So although we do think the bar is quite low here for the first quarter, looking out to the second half of the year, we think that bottom-up expectations for 5% EPS growth do look too high. And here's why. So first, if we look at the yield curve and specifically the spread between the 10-year and 2-year Treasury yields, it's been inverted on a pretty sustainable basis since last summer. And if we use history as a guide here, on average, the economy has slipped into a recession about 15 months after this sustainable inversion, suggesting economic conditions could be more challenging late this year. Second, we've seen tightening lending standards for some time, and the January Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey, also known as the SLUS, it showed that a net 45% of banks tightened lending standards for large and medium-sized firms, and the only other times when the SLUS was at these levels was during the COVID-19 pandemic, the global financial crisis, and the dot-com bust. And since the last survey, we have been experiencing turmoil in the banking sector, which could lead to additional tightening. And third, Although inflation is cooling, it does remain too high still, and with the labor market still reasonably strong, we're skeptical that the Fed's going to be able to cut rates this year. So we think the Fed has more work to do in order to get inflation back down to their 2% target. So with this in mind, we do expect to see these three downside risks to the economy and corporate profits become more pronounced later this year. So, Matt, you just mentioned the Fed. So on the macro front, we received the April Beige Book, which is always an interesting read for us. But what jumped out to you? What are your takeaways? Yeah, it's definitely always interesting to take a look at the Beige Book, especially in the current environment where anecdotal evidence is helpful as economic data has been a bit less reliable than in the past. So jumping into the key takeaways, on the economy overall, it does appear that both overall economic activity and expectations for future growth were little changed in recent weeks. And consumer spending was seen as being flat to down slightly. To little surprise, on the services side, it looks like we're seeing signs that travel and tourism take up across most of the country, whereas on the good side, manufacturing activity was widely reported as being flat or down. And as it relates to the March banking sector turmoil, the prior beige book was released before the collapse of a few of the regional banks. So the insights from the release this week showed several districts noting that banks tighten lending standards amid uncertainty and concerns about liquidity. On the labor market, we're seeing signs of moderation in employment growth as some firms are opting to allow for natural attrition to occur and are only hiring for critically important roles. Just a small number of firms reported mass layoffs, with those being concentrated in a subset of some of the largest companies in those respective districts. And although there's been some moderation in wage growth as well, wages do remain elevated. And finally, on inflation, contacts noted that overall price levels rose moderately, though it did appear that the rate of price increases did start to slow. And on housing more specifically, prices for homes leveled out in most districts, but remained at near record highs. So bottom line, this base book showed that the economy is cooling off, 
But with the labor market still too tight and inflation still too high, the Fed is probably not at the end of its rate hiking cycle. So looking forward to next week, what will be taking place that investors should be mindful of? Yeah, so next week's going to be a pretty busy week on both the earnings and economic calendar. So first, starting with the key economic data releases that we're going to be keeping an eye on. On Monday, we'll receive two regional manufacturing survey releases from both the Chicago and Dallas Feds. On Tuesday, another regional manufacturing survey release, this time coming from the Richmond Fed. We'll also receive the latest consumer confidence reading for April. And on housing, we'll get March updates for new home sales and the final reading for building permits, as well as the February FHFA home price index. Turning to Wednesday, we'll get preliminary March readings for both durable goods orders and wholesale inventories. Moving on to Thursday, quite a heavy day of releases with the weekly initial and continuing jobless claims numbers. We'll also get the first reading on first quarter GDP, which consensus is estimating will slow down from a 2.6% quarter-over-quarter seasonally adjusted annualized rate to 1.9%. March pending home sales and the April Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index are also set to hit the tape. And finally, on Friday, we'll receive an important update on labor costs with the release of the first quarter employment cost index, which is expected to see a very slight uptick on a quarterly basis, but fall on a year-over-year basis. On inflation, March core PCE data will provide us with important insights as this is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. On the consumer, we'll get updates on personal income and personal spending, as well as the final April reading for the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey. And to round out the week, the Chicago PMI reading for April is expected to see a slight downtick. And turning over now to the earnings calendar, next week is going to be the busiest week of the first quarter earnings season, as we'll hear from about 180 companies representing 43% of the S&P 500 market cap. And a few of the mega cap names that we're going to be keeping an eye on include Alphabet, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Meta, and Amazon, just to name a few as the list does go on and on. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. You summarized such a busy week and updated us on CIO's expectations while also preparing us for some first readings and releases for next week, including what looks like the biggest earnings week so far. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Siobhan. Have a good weekend, everyone. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.